Welcome to Talk Purpose and Truth, shifting you into higher consciousness, a show that elevates, uplifts, and encourages listeners to grow, heal, awaken, and evolve. Eden and Kim include bold topics, interviews with inspiring guests, experts, and celebrities, intuitive readings, channeled messages, mental health awareness, and hot topics to expand your awareness. Tune in for unprecedented truth, authenticity, on-purpose discussions, and magical moments. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Talk Purpose and Truth. Hi, Eden. Hi, Kim. How's it Good going? Here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exciting and meaningful yeah. and all the rest. Um, so our guests that are here today were on at the end of last episode with... Um, Steve Bacon. And so they got to hear a little bit of the end right there live, you know, with it happening. So you guys will see, you'll hear that and see that at the end. So we're going to go right into it, but I wanted to, I'm not sure if I've ever really talked about this before, but my background is in special education. I have a whole like credentials in special education and I actually worked for 11 years. Um, I first worked with adults with special needs and a lot of severe behavior issues, um, like schizophrenia and um, Down syndrome, autism, all kinds of things. And and we would work on their behaviors and help them to um, be happier and have more peace in their lives. And then I went into teaching middle school, um, moderate to severe. And so most of the kids were in wheelchairs. So I focused a lot on, I taught, and I focused a lot on helping them learning to walk and physical therapy and um, a lot of educational stuff as well. And I had assistants and things like that. But I've always been very big on um, taking anything that feels like a challenge and making the most of it and overcoming it as much as you can to have the happiest, most peaceful, joyous life and and just live up to your potential. I've always been really good at that and, and really passionate about that. And then I ended up leaving it because um, I had my daughter and it was taking up so many hours a week and I wanted to be able to create my own schedule. And so I was able to kind of delve into this, what I do now, and then decided to do this full force. Um, no. uh, now it's been like 12 years ago, at least. So my kids are older, but I've always been fascinated by people who have triumphed over something that sometimes people feel is a setback or a challenge. Mm-hmm. And our guests are all about that. And so yeah. I'm very extra excited to introduce Doug Cornfield and Dave Clark. And they have a book together that's out now for children called A Pound of Kindness. And we'll go into what all of that is about. But they are all about what I've just been talking about, about triumphing over hardships and challenges and showing up and being brave. And so um, we'll go right into it. <clears throat> Okay, so thank you guys for being here. And uh, Dave, you've been very successful in professional baseball for years as a player, manager, owner, coach, and scout. And were the you were the first player to play baseball on crutches. Am I getting that all correct? Yeah, except okay. that I wasn't always successful. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's all of us, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, and and the question is. What was it like to play playing baseball with these challenges and how were you received by people and what teams did you work with? Okay. Um, 
It's like three Let's questions. go back to the beginning. I had polio <laughs> when I was 10 months old. Okay. Um, thank goodness I had not learned how to walk yet. So I didn't have to transition from learning how to walk, from walking to learning to do things a different way. So I was taken from my parents for a year, about a year. I was in a reconstruction home. Um, and when I came out, I was almost two years old and was walking with two full length leg braces and crutches. Mm. Uh, fast forward, um, I have two brothers. Uh, my parents, I think a key to, uh, Kim kind of touched on it, reaching potential. I think a key of that is a lot of times when parents, caregivers have children with limitations, they reel the leash in very tight and they don't let them explore uh, different activities, different likes. And um, so if you don't do that, you never find out what your potential is because you don't find out what your strengths are. And uh, my parents never, when I said I wanted to play baseball, they didn't say, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Can't was not a word in the Clark household. Mm -hmm. um, the only time I can remember kind of having a hesitant mother was when I said I wanted to play ice hockey. <laughs> and uh, she, uh, she finally said, okay, but the first time you come home missing a tooth, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> So thank God I never lost any teeth. Um, but um, it was not an easy path, uh, you know. I, and once I got to school, to, to grade school, uh, I never felt any different growing up until I got to grade school. And once I got to grade school, bullying is not a new thing. It's existed for as long <laughs> as mankind. Mm -hmm. And I was made to feel different when I got to school. Yeah. Uh, but I still, uh, and, and there's a couple stories that I could relate. I don't know how much time we have, but um, there were a couple of very important stories along my path that kind of created the path that I took. Um, but the baseball, um, you know, I wanted to play little league and little league said, you can't play. You'll get hurt. You'll get injured. And my parents literally drove to Williamsport, which is about an hour from my hometown of Corning, New York. They literally drove to the world headquarters of Little League and said, and they battled for me. Hmm. And they ended up winning the battle. So I ended up yeah. playing Little League baseball. I found out I could hold my own against so-called able-bodied kids. There was no challenger then. And that that brings up another point that I always make had challenger existed back when I was a kid, I'd have probably been channeled directly into challenger because of my appearance walking with crutches and braces. I would have been put into challenger that would not in my case have helped me reach my potential because I was a little bit above that level. And I was holding my own against able-bodied kids. And when I got to 16, 14, 15, 16, I had a dream of, of every kid in that era of playing professional baseball. And 
I, um, I knew my strengths and I realized that I was never going to get there. I was a pitcher and I realized I couldn't throw hard enough to let any scout probably get interested in me. So I thought outside of the box, I said, what can I do to draw attention to myself that could be successful in me getting to that next level? And I came up with a knuckleball. I don't know if you know what that is. I've heard of it. But it's, it's a pitch that is not thrown hard, but it floats like a butterfly. Mm-hmm. And if it's, if it's thrown correctly, it's a very difficult pitch to hit. Mm-hmm. So... I was topping out my fastball at 79 miles an hour. Oh my God. And that, which is very slow. You could yeah. catch that. You could catch that with a Kleenex in the pros uh-huh. and, and uh, the knuckleball. So then I developed the knuckleball and it took a long time, a couple of years to get it to where I thought it was, it would work. Uh, but that was coming in, you know, at 60, 63, maybe, um, so at that point, and, and this is something I always tell people, as far as my baseball career goes, I realized my chances of getting to the pro level were pretty slim and none. Mm-hmm. But I still put in the work and the effort with no guarantee I was ever going to get a chance. And that is so important. I go into pro locker rooms, college locker rooms, high school locker rooms today, and I tell the kids, you're not guaranteed anything in life, yeah. but you've got to work like you're going to get that chance. Because if you put the effort in and the chance comes, now you're ready. You're ready for that opportunity. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you don't put the work in and the opportunity comes, it's going to float right by you. Yeah. So, so, so I was doing my workout four hours a day, six days a week. Running five miles a day on the crutches, lifting weights, riding a stationary bike, all those things, knowing that my chance of getting looked at were pretty, pretty slim. Yeah. The next thing I did was I took the effort to handwrite 24 letters, one to every major league club in existence at that time expressing my and I look back now and I think how absurd that was here's (laughs) this guy writing to major league general managers on crutches and braces said hey give me a chance and uh, I got three replies out of the 24 and I got one chance and I was ready I got the one I got the one chance Uh, I parlayed that and again it wasn't easy but I parlayed that into a 40 some year career uh, of being in professional baseball. And you talked about how I was accepted. I was not, uh, I was yeah. not accepted even by my yeah. own teammates. Mm. Uh, I didn't fit the mold. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty closed uh, fraternity professional uh. sports and you got to look the part. Now I was built up upper body wise, but here I am on crutches and braces and I'm walking into a locker room and I'm taking somebody's job. Hmm. Somebody's being pushed out because I'm coming in and that didn't sit well. 
And so probably for about two weeks, I was a man on an island. Uh, Teammates wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't associate with me. Uh, So I wasn't just battling the opponent. I was battling my own team. Um, And then uh, after about two weeks, um, you know, when I would get to the stadium ahead of everybody else and I would be running in the outfield when they got there and I would be getting people out after about two weeks, the tide started to turn. And when it turned, it turned big time because, um, when they got my back, they really had it. Mm. It, it was almost like your brother. It was like, I can hit my brother in the face with my fist, but don't you do it. Um, and, and it was, it was that much of a turnaround from not wanting to associate with me to don't, don't mess with him because we got his back. Wow. And and so that was, uh, I don't know if that, that was a long winded answer to your question. So interesting though. Yeah. Fascinating. I was like, picturing. (laughs) like a movie and I think you you do have a documentary or a movie right about your life there's a there's a short documentary that was put out okay. years ago but there is a movie in the works let's say oh, okay um oh. but did you did you feel when they were finally coming around to accept you was it because during the two weeks that they didn't you stayed strong in who you were or like what was it do you think that made them finally come around I think they saw my work work ethic Mm. i i i kept my nose clean um you know i could have i could have rebelled against them for yeah ostracizing me but i didn't i just you know kept to myself did my job uh you know really was putting in a lot of work i had to work at least twice as hard as anybody else to stay where I, where I got, I mean, uh, it wasn't easy. And, and, uh, there's a lot of guys that with a lot more talent than I had that didn't make it. And that's because this thing between your, your ears is very important. Um, I always say, if you think you can, you can, if you don't think you can, you haven't got a shot. Yes. And, um, I always thought I could, and I, I, uh, you know, one way or another, I always thought until somebody tells me I can't, and I'm not good enough, I'm going to keep going. And like I said, it wasn't easy. I got released. I got caught, but I always found another team to play with. And, uh, I was like the guitar man in that song. Uh, I just got to find another place to play. (laughs) <laughs> wow. that song's too old for these girls probably is <laughs> I don't probably know what is, it is. <laughs> yeah we're only 21 no yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are i i imagine we're older than you think we are but <laughs> hopefully well, you're not a, you're not as old as dave how's that okay <laughs> so dave you also um do motivational speaking and have you you've done a ted talk too Yes, that I did. Yeah. I don't remember when it was, but it was quite a few years ago. It's a great talk. talk. What, what do you usually focus on when you're doing your talks? You know, it depends on who we're talking to, because I can 
I can speak on a lot of different subjects. I can speak on overcoming. I can speak on management because I was, you know, I, I went into coaching and, and I think one of the strengths I had as a coach was getting to know all of my players strengths as best I could and plugging them into a lineup where I thought they would have the best chance for success. And I think you can do that anywhere in business in, in you know, whatever walk of life you're going through um, or that you're in, I think you can, uh, you know, if you're in a management position, it's your job to know what your employees strengths are so that you can put them in a spot where they can help the, the, the club, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can speak on, I can speak to kids. I love speaking to kids. Uh, I can speak on overcoming. I can speak on management. Um, so we kind of tailor and I speak the, the, the most, the best for me anyway, the best uh, thing is speaking in the locker rooms uh -huh. to, to, the, to the players. Um, Cause I can relate and I can um, I think I, come across there um, pretty strong. Mm. Do you feel and, like the culture is still like a fraternity? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Um, but I think uh, when I walk, I, well, I, I give you, a, I give you a, a quick story. We were in Nashville doing, doing one of our camps and uh, the players from the Nashville sounds came to the clubhouse a little bit late because they had played a uh, extra inning game the night before and they had two rain delays the night before. And uh, so they came in a little bit late and Doug, Doug stayed with the participants. Doug normally goes into the clubhouse with me, but he stayed with the participants to keep them occupied while I went in and addressed the late coming players. And this, they didn't send the general manager in. They sent, I think, the assistant general manager in. And he kept trying to, uh, here I am, you know, a little five foot two guy coming in. They don't know me from Adam. And, and they manage, the system manager is trying to get their attention. And he keeps going, oh, fellas, I'd like to introduce. And they wouldn't listen. They're, they're just, they just kept mingling with each other and they wouldn't listen. And I did, I listened to this three times. He tried to get a, their attention three times. I listened three times. And after the third time, they kept doing the same thing. I, I, I just, uh, all of a sudden, fellas, I want your attention and I want it now. Mm. Wow. <laughs> that, that clubhouse went quiet. And, and I took over from there. And, uh, and, and, uh, the funny thing is the uh, one particular player that was kind of the ringleader of the, of the shenanigans going on in the, in the, in the clubhouse uh, became a pretty good friend. And we went out there the next year and, and he ran from the bullpen during a game. He went, it came over to talk to me. Uh. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, I, I, I like speaking to the players. No doubt about that. Mm -hmm. They respect you. They're amazed by him, you yeah. know, when they hear his story, especially when he, you know, he has a chance to go there and guys, Hey, I know where you've been. I've done this. And, you know, and, and now obviously Dave's a lot older 
Uh, he's still on crutches. Sometimes he stays in a scooter at this point because uh, post polio is what Dave deals with now, which is atrophied mm. his body uh, significantly as he's gotten older. And so it's, you know, it's, you would never expect him to have had a 17 year career in minor league baseball. Yeah. And then as an Olympic coach and an Atlanta Braves coach and uh, coached overseas, he was a three time. Cause I know you asked what teams he was. I with. did. Yeah. And I was wondering if it was minors or majors. So it's both. Oh, you did. So, so yeah, well, it's both as a, both as a, as a coach, uh-huh. not, but not as a player, he played okay. at the minor league level. Yeah. And then he also had a nice contract, a four-year deal actually to go play in the Swedish major leagues. Uh, which oh. was their which was their elite league mm. uh, of which he was also an all-star in that first year and um as it would be it's also the year he blew out his elbow and oh. so um uh, but that doesn't hold a man like dave clark down because then he bought a team and he became <laughs> an owner of a team and wow. he wound up playing first base on that very same team that traveled all over the country playing wow. uh, pro- different professional baseball teams which which is a very actually famous team for those that know it and it's actually becoming more famous right now it's interesting um dave's actually the last owner of the last uh, negro league team that ever played the indianapolis clowns and uh-huh. if you know a name if you know the name hank aaron yeah um, uh-huh. So Hank Aaron, that was his first team, was the Indianapolis Clowns. Dave played for that team years later uh, when they actually integrated white players into the team. And Dave became a player on that team very successfully. Um, And then a few years later, it came up so that he could buy it. I think he bought it in 1983 from the owner, George Long. Uh, He's the fourth and final owner of that team, and they played until 1988. Um, So it's a very rich history as far as there's a lot there's a lot of movement going on with the um with the negro league teams and the history and mm-hmm. giving these men their due um you know and dave probably can you know even though he's vanilla as we were we were called earlier uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um dave can probably relate a little differently because he was he was ostracized for being for being a person with limitations Mm. and and he a not to the like level that. not to the level of you know jackie robinson because that was a you know that was made all national but certainly to the level you know a minor league level coaches didn't want to coach him uh mm-hmm. he's got stories of of literally food coming down from the stands and being yelled mm. at and called a crippled bastard and just so many other things that would come his way from the crowd that you know when you're talking about truth and some of the stuff that he had to deal with uh-huh. Um, he had to keep his mouth shut. He had to, uh-huh. you know, I mean, of course he wasn't, you know, he would give the fourth, the, the middle finger out to that crowd person that was calling him certain things. And then it would create more of a ruckus and there's, you know, and, uh, there's yeah. fights, there's fights that broke out because of Dave. Um, you know, so there's some, there's some richness in the story when you talk about talk purpose and truth. Uh-huh. Yeah. We like, do also, you know, there was a, a season I had where, I was being called up to a higher level and the manager of the team at the higher level refused to let them promote me. And uh, it was either he gave them an ultimatum. Dave gets promoted. I quit or Dave doesn't get promoted. I'll stay. And they find, they decided I wasn't going to get promoted. Wow. So, yep. so sad. And you, but no matter what, you kept on. And it, it reminds me of um, I heard the other day on the radio somebody gave the 
uh, story of Prince when he opened for the Rolling Stones when Prince first was famous. Like he first was coming out as Prince and people hated him. And I guess it was the wrong group to open for. And they threw things at him and like booed him. And he just kept playing and playing. And the radio DJ goes, yeah, but what if Prince had let that get to him and went, I'll oh, forget it. I won't do anything anymore. We yeah. would have never had Prince. And it reminds me because you didn't go, oh, well, they're not accepting me. So forget it. I'm not going to do this. You kept on and had this long career. That's that's powerful. Thank you. And it, uh, as I said at the beginning, it wasn't easy. Um, but I was I've, I've never been one to quit. Yeah. Never been one to quit. Uh, uh Jimmy Valvano you know you know that name Jimmy Valvano the basketball coach uh maybe not, maybe mm-hmm. his motto was never give up don't ever give up uh-huh. and, uh, that 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 that's my motto um yeah. we try to get that across so oh yeah and does that r- relate to the the children's book that you guys have now is that didn't tell that story but uh <laughs> I'll, I'll tell the story just because you know if you can just kind of picture a six-year-old uh, with those very heavy Forrest Gump-like braces. Uh, um, mm-hmm. And he went to first grade. Dave went to first grade. It's literally almost out my window, you know, out my porch here where I'm sitting in Corning, New York, a very small little town. Um, he's Like he told you earlier, was this the first time he was made to feel different? Mm-hmm. And his first grade teacher announces a field trip where the whole class would have to walk five blocks away to the fire hall together. So for Dave, that was five, you know, two or three weeks of just dread, you know, being left behind, not being able to keep up. Those thoughts were just constantly, you know, banging through his little six-year-old mind at the time. And the interesting thing, because this relates to another story, is that they weren't even allowing him to participate in gym class, but they wanted him to walk six blocks away to the fire hall. And it's, it's amazing so, you know, as every little sixth grader is going to, you know, first grader is going to do it six years old. They're going to try to act sick if they don't want to go to school. Uh-huh. And so his memory is pretty clear on all these things. He tried to fake out his mother. He's a terrible actor. She said, no, you're not sick. You're going to school. <laughs> and with all this anxiety and nervousness, um, Dave goes to school. Teacher calls the class to get in line, goes to the back of the line, thinking this is going to be the only spot for him. Maybe everybody will go ahead and, you know, they won't notice him. And unknown to him, um, there's a little boy named Ernie Pound. Ernie had brought his radio flyer wagon to school that day to pull Dave. Oh. And Dave never forgot it. And basically, 30, 45 years later, uh, Dave wrote a book with a local sports writer. And in chapter two, Dave thanks people that helped, helped him along. He basically, I think the title of that chapter is My Saviors. Mm. And he had shared that story and and i was helping dave with kind of the pre-publishing so i had read the story a couple of times before and i have a son that was born with neither arm developed and so i'm reading that story and i got a fly trying to attack me out here on my porch and um i'm reading that story while i was helping dave organize some book signs and i just was reading chapter two again and i get the goosebumps again you know how many times can you get the goosebumps when you tell this story and I wound up going to the phone book. This is a lot of years ago and found Ernie, an Ernst Pound in the phone book. Called uh, him from my office. It was an awkward phone call. Um, he had, you know, basically 
what he told me is that he had left the area and he hadn't been to Corning since first grade. And he was living about 45 minutes away, but he remembered the wagon. And so he wound up, he wound up coming to a book sign, a book signing that we did a little coffee shop, put a book underneath Dave's. Yep. Dave, Dave didn't have a clue. We were actually doing radio shows that morning and promoting the, you know, the book signings that we were doing. And he even told that story. I told the, the radio, um, DJ, I said, Hey, ask, ask Dave about that story of uh, the wagon. Uh, so he did. And Dave's telling the story he has no clue that night. I set up a, a, set up a reunion and Ernie comes into the coffee shop. And as soon as he came in, I knew who it was, even though I'd never seen him as an adult or I'd never seen him. And I gave him a book. I said, Dave's going to want you to have one of these. And he wound up getting in line. It was a pretty long line that day. Puts a book underneath Dave's nose. Dave says, who do I sign this to? And if you want to get the goosebumps all over again, you can watch this video. <laughs> but Ernie, Ernie basically says, sign this one to Ernie Pound. And, and of course, uh, Davey over there got pretty emotional. And we started telling that story. And um, I was actually Dave's financial advisor at the time. So we weren't partnering or anything or doing the sports camps that we do. But when we started doing the sports camps, Dave started, I started getting calls for Dave to get these awards. And he's not your normal award kind of person. Um, he's gotten all sorts of awards, Heroes of Sports Award. Um, Nash, that was a national award. He's the Bo Jackson Courage Award winner now. He's got several Hall of Fames, uh, you know, his colleges, both the junior college he went to and, and Ithaca College. He's in the Hall of Fames, you know, that kind of stuff. So when I told him, when I told him that the Bo Jackson Courage Award wanted him to come and accept the award, he goes, I don't need no more stinking awards. <laughs> well, wait a so, minute. Let me, let me, let me, let me break in. Here. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. One of the reasons was it was in Chicago in January. And <laughs> Dave lives in Florida. I'm living in Florida. I don't yeah. want to go to Chicago in January. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I can remember going, where's this at, Doug? At Chicago. No, I don't need any more stinking awards. Yeah, we, we're in California. We're the same way. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I convinced him to go and he got the Bo Jackson Courage Award. And, wow. and uh, you know, and, so, and, and, and he's gotten several other awards. But I said, you know, we can't give you an award everywhere you go. And so I said, hey, why don't we do our own award? And so I came up with the idea. Um, actually, it was a tag, a tagline from one of Dave's old players, a pitcher that pitched for Dave in 1988, had um, taken the video that I put out there of the of the reunion, and basically said, "Pulling each other along." Oh. And I said, "Hey Tim, can I use that?" And you can see on Dave's T-shirt if you're watching on, he's got pulling yeah. each other along on the T-shirt. Yeah. And and I said, so we started the pulling each other along award. And we started giving these out and they've gotten emotional. Um, we try to find the unsung hero. It's kind of like people like Dave that don't necessarily want awards. Um, they don't think they deserve an award, but they actually do. And those are the kind of people that we look for. And, and um, it, even this, even the Saturday, I'm going to be giving out two awards. They don't, I don't even think they know it yet, but to two officers, uh, normally these awards go to people that help those with disabilities but we've got two, two awards that we're giving out, out because just recently uh, there's these two officers pulled um, some burning victims out of a car and uh, worked together to get these guys to survive. And so we're going to be at a Miracle League field for children with disabilities where they play baseball. And it's their heroes 
weekend. Dave and I were actually speakers there last year and we gave out an award there last year. And this year we're going to honor these two police officers or I'm Dave's not coming up. I'm doing this one, but we'll be giving them the Dave Clark pulling each other along award, all based off of that little act of kindness that happened uh-huh. to Dave when he was six years old. Wow. Oh, full circle. Wow. So special. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, it's like when you really look at your whole timeline, it could be something that happened just for like a half an hour, one day in your life. And it shapes everything, mm-hmm. you know? So it shows you how important, like, I know your, your books are about your other book too. They're about acts of kindness and how it, you know, it, it does make a difference. Every little act of kindness makes a difference. Right. Even right. a smile. Right. And, and that does bring me to the new book. It, yeah. Since it's, it's called pulling each other along. Just think of that. Uh, and so we have 30 more stories. Dave's actually right here in the cover. So is my son. Is my uh-huh. son over here. If you're watching on YouTube, yeah. but uh, Terry Bradshaw wrote the forward. If you guys know who Terry Bradshaw yeah. is. Wow. Um, so you can actually download the forward for free on our, on our website. If you want to take a glimpse of some of the writings. So we have 30 incredible stories mostly people with disabilities, uh, 31 actually, including Dave's, and mostly uh, in the sports world. But not all sports, not all disabilities, uh, but all inspirational. And instead of people like, oh, Dave's so great, Dave's so great, and we have another Dave, Dave Stevens, you know, instead of saying how great they are, we ask them to write about who pulled them along and helped them in their life's journeys. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so it's coming, it's coming from that perspective. and. Mm-hmm. And, and our hope as the book just came out a few weeks ago, as far as on Amazon, mm. um, our hope is that people will be inspired to read these stories and thank the people that helped pull them along. And we even created a little greeting card, a pulling each other along greeting card that people can get on our website. And uh, it's just that it's just the thank you. You pulled me uh-huh. along and you can, you know, you can write a little note in there and we uh, just, you know, we hope people will take the time to thank those people that are helping them. And, you know, in today's world, when there's so many negative things going on, it's, it's hard to push the positive, actually, you know, people say, Oh, that's a great idea, but then they don't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, nowadays, like even just, I, I try to remember like even just a nice comment or a text or anything like to uplift someone's day it takes like 10 seconds, you know, right. but every little bit helps. And both of the books are on Amazon. So the pound of kindness is not, it's just on our pulling each other along. Um, uh-huh. I pulled that, I pulled that off of Amazon because Amazon likes to keep all the money. Yeah. And for we, uh, that's, and, and that's, that's a fundraiser for us. Um, both, both books are to help uh-huh. support the sports camps that we run for kids with disabilities. Um, but all, all of our books and products can be on, is, can be found on pulling each other along.com. Uh, but okay. you can also get the, um, I think that I think there's some copies of the pound of kindness out there. It's just a, it would be a repurposed one. Got it. Okay. And then what about, can you tell us about the kids sports camps? Sure. Dave, you want to go? It's your, it's yeah, your brainchild. Yeah, yeah. The, um, I've been very fortunate to have achieved. I've never worked a day in my life outside of jobs between uh, high school. Um, you know, I've, I've done something that I love to do and gotten paid for it. So you're very fortunate to do that. And back in the 70s, when I was playing, the seed for what we do today was actually planted uh, because we would, um, after I got accepted um, by my teammates, uh, we would go into a town and if I saw a group home, 
or some uh, building dealing with uh, uh, limitations, I would go in and try to find the director and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm in town with the so-and-so team and we got a game out here tonight at the stadium. Uh, would you like to, here's some tickets, you know, would you like to bring a, a group? Never got turned down. And then once they took the tickets, I, I would say, you know, if you got a group that would like to come out like four hours early, I'll get a few of my teammates and we'll come out and we'll bring them right down on the field. And we'll, and we'll do a little, little uh, camp and instruction to them. And that's how it all started. And then when I retired as a coach, um, they became a little bit more formal. And I used my contacts in pro baseball to include teams. We would, we would, put the camps on in professional stadiums. We would get the team from that professional stadium to partake in the camp and um, hit and miss. We just kind of got a, a, a routine down and we call it organized chaos, mm. but really there is a, there is, there, there is a lot of organization in it. And uh, even though it's chaotic looking, it, there's a lot of organization to it. And, and so we have a routine now. We, um, I will go in with Doug usually to the locker room and address the players. And one of the things I get across to the players is uh, you're going to feel very uncomfortable uh, for the first five or 10 minutes out there because you're not, I said, we don't even know what kind of limitations we're dealing with. And so you're going to feel very uncomfortable, but after those first five or 10 minutes, that's all going to go away and you are going to be so glad you participated in this camp today. I said, uh, I hope all of you play thousands of games in your career. And if you're like me, you're going to forget most of those games, but I will guarantee you gentlemen, today is a day you will never forget. Oh. And so it puts in perspective to those players. One of the things I get across to them is how, how uh, lucky they are to be where they're at. Uh, and that it is a privilege for them to be there. And uh, it puts in perspective to those players. Oh, I struck out three times last night. Or if you were a pitcher, I gave up two home runs. You're going back out on the field. There's another game for you. So all of a sudden it doesn't become as deathly important to the player. They get a different look at life. Mm -hmm. And then the participants, we go out and we address the parents and the caregivers before the camp starts. And I get across the point to those parents that my parents never told me no, they never told me can't. And it's okay to get a scuffed knee or a bruised elbow or a little cut on your face. It's okay because that way they're, they're, they're allowing their son, their daughter to truly find out what their full potential is. And if you, and every one of them has that and you gotta let them find out what it is. And it might not even be in sports, could be drawing, could, 
could be singing, could be anything, but let them try things because a third grade teacher taught me that. A third grade phys ed teacher taught me that and I never forgot his lesson to me. And we try to get that across to him. And then we let it all loose. You know, we get that we, we have stations set up on the field. The pro players divide up into those stations. And once we're done talking, the parents and caregivers, we let them go. And uh, the, uh, it's a pretty amazing event. Pretty amazing event. It, it doesn't just, it doesn't just uh, impact the participants. I, I truly believe it impacts the players. It impacts the parents as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love it. That's um, so such great work you've done and are doing currently you guys. Yeah. Both of you. um, Yeah. That's what our show is all about. And so I know our listeners are going to love your episode and um, we're so grateful that you came here to our show and I know you're got a lot going on. So sending you blessings and um, everybody go check out their books and buy their books and their website and all that they're doing and send your kids to the camp if it matches for you and um thank mm-hmm. you guys so much thanks thank for having us, having us. thank you yeah. thank thanks you. everyone for listening take care you guys bye bye Thank you for listening to Talk Purpose and Truth podcast. Find out more at talkpurposeandtruth.com. And follow us at Talk Purpose Truth on Instagram and Facebook.